Kids can head to Kids Church, right? Yep, kids can head to Kids Church this morning. They're so polite, look at them. They waited on me to tell them and everything. Um, but yeah, so kids can head. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. There we go. All right, now we're here. Okay. We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning, as I said, and we'll be talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, so you can be turning there. But as you're turning, uh, it is the season. It is Christmas season. It's in full swing. We've got the candles, the garland, everything. And in my house, we like Christmas movies. But the difference is, I like good Christmas movies, and my wife likes Hallmark Christmas movies. And there's a pretty stark difference there. So... Let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, so I like, you know, other Christmas movies and all that, but at any given moment, I can walk into my house and that dreaded logo will be right there in the bottom corner of, you know, and I know exactly what's going to happen. I'll tell you, some city slicker is going to lose his fiance or girlfriend to some guy who lives in a small town who's wearing flannel and has a beard and a six pack or whatever else. Okay. So it's just, you know, that's what's happening. So if you don't know the end of any Hallmark Christmas movie, I hate I spoiled them all for you, but there they are. So that's all the movies. But my wife loves these movies, and plenty, and I heard the groans and the disagreement in the room, so I know some of you all also probably like Hallmark Christmas movies. And I don't really understand, or for a while, I didn't really understand why people like those movies. I just, you know, again, I know the ending. I don't watch movies because I know the ending, but a lot of people love these movies. And it seems that they've cracked some kind of code or some kind of something because they have this standard plot and every time, they fill in the details, and everybody loves it. And they make new ones every year, and they watch the new ones every year. But what I've figured out is that people like these movies because there's a promise made from Hallmark that if you watch this movie, this is what's going to happen. And they keep that promise every time. And if, you know, the, the plot is if they just put enough faith in a Christmas spirit or a Christmas miracle, something will happen, and it happens every time. Because when expectations are met, it provides some sort of comfort and joy to the viewer. And Hallmark Christmas movies come every year. All Christmas movies come every year. Um, but we have a constant inundation of these movies and these stories of hope every year in Christmas. But when we look at the story today, that was not the case. Uh, when we look at the story today, what we'll see is that the promised hope has finally arrived. And what I mean by finally arrived is 400 years ago, or, you know, when we think about our context, there was 400 years before this story started in Luke, okay? So there's, the Old Testament ends, and there's a four-century gap between the end of the Old Testament and where Luke starts this story today. So there's a lot of things that can happen in four centuries. So if you think about our context, 400 years ago today, America did not exist. Uh, there was not the country that we live in today. Um, if you were in America, one of the first few people in America, um, you could have gotten here on the Mayflower, which would have arrived three years ago, and you, this year you would have celebrated the second Thanksgiving that was ever celebrated, or what we now celebrate is Thanksgiving. So these people, it's been 400 years since they've heard from God. God's people, who we see all throughout the Old Testament, there's a four-century gap. It has been a long, long time since they've heard anything from God. And in that 400 years, aside from a rebellion that ultimately failed, 
uh, they were, the Jewish people, the God's people, Israel, had been under the reign of someone else. They had been enslaved. They'd been in countless wars. They had been, you know, just basically for 400 years, they had not had any autonomy over themselves and what they were able to do for them as a people. Someone else had owned them. And there was a promised Messiah, and they knew that from the Old Testament, but they had not even heard from a prophet in four centuries. But the same God who created and sustained his people through the Old Testament is the same God who delivers the hope we'll look at today. And we'll start in uh, verse 5 of Luke chapter 1, and it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight and living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So Zechariah responds and says, How can I know this? He asked the angel, For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and now and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that they, he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, "The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these uh, looked. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people." Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just want to come to you and thank you for the promised hope that you gave the Israelite people and the hope that you give to us. We pray that as we examine this interaction with Zechariah and Elizabeth in the life of John, that you will just use it to encourage our hearts to do what it is you have for us to do, that you will just burden our hearts with the responsibility that comes with following you. We pray that you will just open our eyes and our hearts to what it is you have for us to do individually as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we look at this story, we see, first of all, that God again uses the unlikely to fulfill his promises. God, again, uses the unlikely to fulfill his promises. So, again, when we look at the Old Testament, we see lots of unlikely people 
in the story of God. You think about Abram and Sarai, they're in a very similar situation to Zechariah and Elizabeth. She's barren, they're old, yet God gives them children and makes them a great nation. We look at the story of Rahab in the Old Testament, a prostitute in a city that God is trying to use his people to conquer, and she is the one who hides the spies and helps deliver God's people in that scenario. Another one is Saul and David. You see the people of Israel, God's people want a king and they want a king like all the other people. So they look at Saul. He's tall, handsome, looks powerful. He's the guy we want. The guy that should be the king, right? However, Saul is a terrible leader and a wimp. Not great for a society that's constantly plunged into war. So yet we see this little shepherd boy that God uses to be a great king, a man after God's own heart. So again, we see God using unlikely people to fulfill his promises. God uses a barren couple to bring the one, de- the one designated to prepare the way for the Jesus into the world. God uses a couple who is not able to have children to have the one child that will prepare the way for the Messiah. In verse 18, Zechariah says, How can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So Zechariah, when we look at this, he's not unaware of his situation, right? He's not... He doesn't believe that his wife is going to have a child anytime soon. And at this point, he's probably given up hope, and he and Elizabeth have accepted their fate. We're not going to have kids. That's okay. Um, And they're both old, you know. Zachariah says, I'm old. She's old. What are we talking about? You know, we're not going to be able to have kids. And it's not like today where they would have had options with things like um, foster care. I'm sure there was some kind of adoption, but even the medical treatments you can do to help um, provide children, that was not available to them. So when they hit that age of not being able to have kids, that was pretty well over. You know, they're, all right, we're done. It's not going to happen. God did not give us children for whatever reason. Yet we see that God honors the righteous. We see that God honors the righteous. In in, verse 24, it says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So Elizabeth noticed or notes that she is no longer a disgrace among her people. Elizabeth's childlessness would have been viewed as some sort of disgrace. It would have been viewed as some sort of sinful lifestyle she might have lived. And in a culture of legalism and self-righteousness, mind you, the same culture that killed Jesus, not many were able to live and uphold the law, yet these two did. In verse 6 it says, Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Their culture viewed them as unworthy of children, yet they had lived a righteous life. At times, I'm sure they probably wondered, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong that God won't bless us with children? Yet the weight of childlessness and the pressure of the culture didn't stop them from living a righteous life. And in a situation that probably would have broken most people in this room, they didn't even crack. Because a lot of us have been blessed with children. And most of us want children. And that's just a blessing God gives us. Yet they had made it long into their life and God had not blessed them with children. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. But the Bible says they continued to be righteous. And because of their perseverance and righteousness, God blessed them with a gift. We saw in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. And when Zechariah sees the angel, his response is just like everyone else's. He's terrified. So if you study the whole Bible, pretty much everybody that encounters an angel, immediate terror, they're scary. And, you know, it would be scary. Um, 
And the angel uh, comes not with judgment like it does sometimes in the Old Testament. So we see a lot of prophets, a lot of angels, a lot of messengers of God. Often in the Old Testament, we saw them delivering judgment. But this messenger from God is delivering hope. And it's the first appearance of an angel in almost 500 years. So God has not spoken to his people with a prophet in 400. But now an angel comes for the first time in almost 500 years. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for, while he, for he will be a great nation, or be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of, righteous, of the righteous, and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So Gabriel doesn't come with sad news. He comes with exciting news. He comes with news that will be good. And hear me for a minute. I think Gabriel would have been excited to deliver this news. Because it's been a long time, 400 years, almost 500 for an angel. So Gabriel finally gets to deliver some good news. So I just imagine God's like, Gabriel, come here. Today's the day. We're delivering some good news um, go tell Zechariah they're having a baby. And you can see Gabriel, light up the incense, baby. I'm coming down. We're getting a baby. It's going to be good news. Guess the rest of you suckers are on demon duty today because I get to deliver the good news down to these people. All right? So Gabriel would have been excited to deliver this news, I imagine. Yet the response is not exactly what he probably expected when he goes and delivers this news. So Gabriel's expecting to go down, and he's like, all right, I'm going to deliver this news. Zechariah's going to be so thankful. Thank you. We prayed for this. It's time. Here we go. But the response is from Zechariah, how can I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So Zechariah's response is, I'm old. She's old. The ship sailed. It's over. What are you talking about? And I try to think of an equivalent of this today. And so it's Christmas time. And I just imagine, you know, I don't know what your kids want for Christmas. They might want a pony, custom PlayStation controller, a hippo. I don't know what they want. But here was the equivalent of what I came up with was imagine saving all year or years to give your kids the ultimate Christmas present, right? You want to give them, let's, you know, we're taking a trip to Disney World. Let's go. And you save all year, and you're so excited. You finally get to Christmas morning, and they open that box, and it's got the Mickey Mouse ears and the Disney t-shirt and whatever else, and you're like, all right, they're going to be so excited. And instead of jumping up and down and saying, Dad, I love you, Mom, you're the best, let's go to Disney World, they look at you and say, I mean, can we really afford this? <laughs> is this a good idea? I hear Florida is dreadful this time of year. So what, you know... That's not the response you want as a parent. So I imagine, you know, God, when he delivers good news, doesn't want a, a response of skepticism. He wants a response of joy from his people. So Zechariah's response was wrong. And God gave Zechariah what he prayed for, and his response was skepticism. Which brings us to the point that God's gift comes with responsibility. My law professor in college... Um, had this saying that he loved, and I think it's true. And he would remind us of this all the time when we were in his classes, and it was, privileges aren't given without responsibilities. 
Privileges are not given without responsibilities. You think about voting. Voting is not a right in America. It is a privilege, and your responsibility with that privilege is to go vote. Your driver's license, also a privilege. You do not have the right to drive a motor vehicle. You are given the privilege to drive a motor vehicle, and your responsibility is to follow traffic laws. When God blesses us with children, our responsibility is to take care of our children, to make sure that they're well taken care of and living a good life. Privileges do not come without responsibilities. And Zechariah had little faith here, and so he was righteous. Verse 6 tells us he's righteous, but he's not sinless. He's not perfect. And he has his doubts. We all have our doubts. And his response should have been, yes, Lord, thank you. Finally, we're going to have a child. Thank you for blessing us. You know, we'll raise him in righteousness so he'll tell the world of the coming Messiah. He'll preach down sinful leaders. God, yes, thank you. This is all we've ever wanted. But instead, he gives doubt. He gives doubt, as we often do. And the issue with doubt is that we aren't just expressing our sinful hearts. We're looking God in the face and saying, I don't believe you. Because that's exactly what Zechariah did when he responded. He said, you know, God says, you're going to have a kid. And he says, I'm old, she's old, the ship sailed, I don't believe you. So naturally, Gabriel is not okay with Zechariah's response and this answer. And I think the tone when we read Scripture matters, because I think it would be really easy to read this next section in verse 19 and say, the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I think it was more like this. The angel answered him and said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. When God blesses us, our responsibility is to act, not to question. And now Elizabeth's response is more appropriate. We read in verse 24, it says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked on me with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth's response to her blessing was praise, as our response always should be. But her blessing was twofold, and the, the secondary part of her blessing is that it answers the prayers of a righteous couple and to bless them for their faithfulness. So while this blessing comes as an answered prayer and to um, give this couple what they've always prayed for, that's not really the primary reason God blessed John, or not John, God, God blesses Zechariah and Elizabeth with John. The primary reason God blesses them is because he lays out the forerunner for his ultimate plan of redemption for all of humanity. The primary reason is so that God lays out the forerunner for his ultimate plan of redemption. So Elizabeth's blessing, while it wasn't answered prayer, it has less to do with her than it does with God's plan. Because it had everything to do with God's plan. Elizabeth was blessed so that John would lead the way for Jesus. Elizabeth was blessed so that he would lead the way for the one who would redeem the world God created. The world that was ruined by Adam's sin, my sin, and your sin. They were blessed with John so that he would lead the way for the one and only being able to save us from our misery, our suffering, and an eternity in hell. They were blessed with John so that he would lead the way for a Savior who loved us so much that he died and was resurrected so we could have a relationship with our Creator and our Savior. 
They were blessed so that John would lead the way for the one who would say, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And they were blessed with John so that he would lead the way for us and lead the way for Jesus and his redemption. And all we have to do is believe and put our faith in Jesus, the one who John prepares the way for. And all, that's all we have to do to gain the rest and eternity in our Savior and Creator. But once we do that, we often view that as that's the end of our journey, when in fact that is the beginning of our spiritual journey. Because we are not void of responsibility. We weren't saved to sit in this room. We were saved to point people to the same Savior who saved us. And our responsibility is the same as John's. Luke 1.17 says, He will do all these things, and he continues on to say, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. John's responsibility was to prepare the way so that people would look to Jesus and put their faith in him. And our responsibility is not different than John's. Our responsibility is to point people to Jesus because we know that we can't save anyone. We could lay out this perfect gospel presentation. I could preach the best sermon. We could do all these things, and the best we can do, we can't save anyone. So our responsibility is to point them to the one who can, and that's Jesus. And when we share, like John, it should be with joy. It should not be out of guilt. It should not be out of anything like that. We should share out of joy. And when Zechariah finally does speak again, because he's been silenced for a while, it is with joy. Verse 64 says, Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. So Zechariah's had some time to think. Okay, so you got to think. The last time he spoke was when the angel said, Elizabeth's going to have a child. So the standard you know, operating procedure here is that's nine months since Zechariah has spoken his last word. So he's not said anything. And the first thing he says, he says with joy. And he's a righteous man, and he'll sin because he's a sinner. But he won't make a habit of and he won't live in that sin. He knows God is faithful, and his responsibility is to be faithful too. So when he finally gets the chance to speak, it's with joy. He speaks with joy because even though he felt like God may have failed him and Elizabeth in providing them with the child, he understood what we know, and that is that God will never fail to provide for his people. God will never fail to provide for his people. Because God's plan is to give people with problems solutions. God's plan is to give sick people healing. God's plan is to give, make poor people wealthy. God's plan, as we see here, is to give a barren couple children. God's plan is to give the hopeless hope and the sinners a savior. After 400 years, it's no coincidence that God delivers his message to a man named Zechariah. Because to us, we hear the word Zechariah, or the name Zechariah, and that means Zechariah. But the people in that day would have understood his name literally to mean Yahweh has remembered. So a man whose name literally means Yahweh has remembered is the beginning of the story that God proves that he remembers us. Because God does not forget about us. And just because God is silent, that doesn't change the end of the story. They knew the end of the story before that 400-year gap. 
They knew God was going to deliver the Messiah he had promised. They knew God was going to be faithful. But he was silent. And just because God is silent does not mean the end of the story changes. Because God is silent, that doesn't mean he's gone. Because the darkest part of the night comes just before the sunrise. So in the lives of two righteous yet unlikely people, the world is blessed with a thrill of hope. The weary world they live in will soon rejoice. A new morning is breaking, and oh, it will be glorious. And maybe you're looking for God to provide for you today. Maybe you've never put your faith in the one that John prepared the way for. And if you'd like to talk about that, I'll be down front. And maybe you're looking for God to provide for you in a different way. You've put your faith in Christ, but you have struggles, you have problems like we all do, and you're just looking for hope. I'd love to talk to you about that as well, and I'll be down front here in just a moment. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you for the hope you give us in Jesus. And we thank you that even though sometimes it feels like you're silent, we know that you're never gone. We pray that we'll remember that as we go throughout our week, and we pray that we won't forget our responsibility to point people to you. We pray that as we, as we do that and we try to point people to you, you'll give us the boldness to do it and the opportunities to do it. And Lord, burden our hearts for the people around us who don't know you so that we can bring them to you so that you can save them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.